and welcome to History Makers. I'm your host, Matt Prater. Today we're talking to Australian Olympic gold medalist Duncan Armstrong. Duncan, welcome to History Makers. Thank you very much, Matt. It's very nice to be here. Now, Duncan, uh, you're um, well known in Australia for uh, swimming and news broadcasting. You know, you've been on the telly quite a bit with the commentating for the swimming and all that kind of stuff. Um, are you a Brisbane boy? Did you grow up in, in Queensland up here? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a Queenslander born and bred. Queenslander first, Australian second. Um, <laughs> I did a lot of growing up in the uh, beautiful subtropical, uh, I guess, town of Rockhampton. And um, so it's no, no um, I guess, surprise that I'm a swimmer because Rockhampton is very, very hot in the summertime and it's got two wonderful swimming pools and um, it's got a long history of good swimmers coming out of the place. And so that's where I fell in love with swimming and really that was the only thing I really ever wanted to do. I only wanted to play sport for Queensland after watching Wally Lewis and Gene Miles and all the state of origin legends and heroes <laughs> of the 80s. Um, I grew up wanting to be uh, the next Wally Lewis and uh, then I had a vital win at a vital time uh, which uh, really um, selected me as a swimmer and away we went. And when I was about 14, my whole family packed up and moved to Brisbane so there was no pressure on me from an early age. And... Uh, <laughs> And joined the, the powerhouse uh, swimming school here, Brisbane State High, and um, the Laurie Lawrence Swing Club, and uh, the rest is history. So how young did your parents get you into the swimming? You know, like, I wouldn't mind my kids becoming Olympic gold medalists one day. Uh, how, how young did you start? I just started at school like everybody else. I, I won a race across the pool at school in year one when I was five. So that was the, the first victory of many, I'd like to say. But <laughs> it actually, it didn't come too easy. I actually had to fight for a lot of my wins and a lot of um, things like that. But I always really I was a great dreamer. And I always dreamt about the Olympic Games and dreamt about wearing the green and gold for Australia. And, and I really just wanted to make teams. I wanted to make my district team. I wanted to make the um, state team. You know, the first time I made the Queensland team was a very, very special moment to be selected for that. And uh, that got me ready for, um, you know, wearing the green and gold. So um, for me, that was my real drive. I just wanted gear. I just wanted the Queensland tracksuit, the Australian tracksuit. I just wanted to go away on trips. And, and then the winning came after that. So, um, you know, I'm very, very proud of my swimming career. I worked very hard at it. I really did put in a lot of work and I learned all those wonderful skills about determination and um, um, technique and uh, discipline and, and things like that. So they really came with my drive to be a winner at that time and I had some wonderful mentors like my dad was a fantastic mentor for me and, and then I was introduced to Laurie when I was 14 and Laurie Lawrence was a fantastic and passionate mentor who really got me to understand what it took to become an Olympian number one and then to win at the Olympic Games number two and I've been able to take all that the things that I've learned from my father and from Laurie particularly into my corporate life and into the media that I wanted to do and, and, and again hone my drive and discipline into areas that I wanted to be successful after my swimming career and now all of those things sort of combine into my, my fatherhood which I'm really really fired up about I've got a little daughter now who's 19 months old and another one on the way and Ava's 19 months and I've got a 16 or 17 year old from a previous marriage and so I'm getting the full length and breadth of being a dad <laughs> and so I'm able to bring it all all those wonderful things that I've learned in the pool and in the media to my fatherhood. Mm. Now let's just take a step back to the uh, the Olympic gold medal we all want to know about that mm. uh, tell us about that moment and how it felt. Mm. Oh well it's funny, you know, like you look at the um, that wonderful moment that, um, you know, a lot of people in Australia shared and it's every day that I walk down the street and someone will recognise me and say, hey, I remember what I was doing the day in 1988 on the 19th of September and, and I always look at them and go, hey, I had a good day too. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was one of those moments in sport and we're such a, a passionate sporting nation in Australia that uh, we really do buy in heavily emotionally into these sort of days. You know, I remember the day that Wally Lewis scored that try. I remember what I was doing when... 
um, Debbie Flintoff King won and, and all these sort of things that you sort of buy into because of an Australian thing but uh, no, we, had a, we had a one perfect day we trained very hard for it for five years we, we came up with a fantastic strategy against some very very good swimmers um, I was ready I was fit and uh, we were able to put together a strategy and execute it in almost the perfect race for me in the 200 metres freestyle um, on the 19th of September in 1988 and uh, coming up the winner and it was Australia's 100th medal at the Olympic Games and it was a gold one with a world record so I, re- I lived my entire dream in 1 minute and 47 seconds touched the wall and everything was finished and everything was done and, and the funny thing is that the most uh, immediate reaction I had the first emotion I had was relief because it had taken five years to get there and, and Laurie was a very passionate coach and, and made us train very hard so it was sort of like after all that hard work after all that stalking success after all that dreaming were able to execute the perfect race, win the gold medal, break the world record, and it was over. And so my first reaction was relief. It was just so cool. Mm. <laughs> now, a few years ago, uh, something pretty awesome happened in your life. You, um, you know, became a Christian, and mm. a lot of things changed. Mm. Uh, tell me how you came to that place. Um, I think my wife and I, well, we weren't married at that stage, but we'd been together about eight years, and uh, and I was like a lot of people walking around out there. Um, I wasn't full. I wasn't filling myself up. I had a, you know, a god hole in my heart. Um, a lot of people sort of use that terminology to, to describe, and it's a pretty it's pretty apt actually that description because you do. You, we had great houses, we had great cars, we had great careers. We didn't have a wonderful relationship. We had a great relationship, but not a wonderful relationship. We didn't trust each other, and that was up our upbringings coming up and, and the scars that, that just sort of everyone bears from growing up. But uh, we, just, we just weren't over the line. I wasn't vulnerable at all. I wasn't trusting of people, and, uh, and that's where my first marriage went, basically. You know, uh, that was my fault. And, uh, you know, so we were wandering around and... And then we met this couple and they displayed such great strength and quite confidence and, and they didn't buy into all the fads and the crazes that my wife and I were buying into in those days. And so I was fascinated by the, this uh, this friend of mine's faith and you know so they took us along to church one day. And, of course, it was an AOG church, so they're all happy clappers. And, uh, and so, like, I was, you know, you walk in and it's pretty confronting, you know, even though it's supposed to be the most welcoming place at all, uh, for, and it is, you know, once you get inside. But, you know, it's just sort of pricking the bubble and bursting the pressure. Anyway, you walk in and, you know, everyone's clapping and cheering and singing and pulling faces and, and doing their best karaoke impression of what's happening on the board with the music and, and there's a band and, you know, and when my friend stood up, I stood up. When he sat down, I sat down. You know, anything he did, I did, you know. It was just like, I wasn't there for me, I was there for him. And so it was like a mini-me. But uh, it was a very confronting stage. But the second time we went to church, Jesus was waiting, waiting for us with a crash tackle. And, you know, and, and all of a sudden it was just this cascading of pain out of my heart and you know time to be up even now to talk about it so um <clears throat> and and that's the emotion of of getting into a personal relationship with god and so um you know basically from that moment on i cried for 12 months it was just gushing and gushing and gushing all the unworthiness all the the crazy pain that i went to all the stuff that i i thought was living all the stuff that you know i basically had to purge it my wife would look at me and go, "What is with you?" Because with this, you know, crying came sweating. <laughs> so I was having this bodily function that I couldn't control. And any time I thought about Jesus and what He did for us on the cross, away I'd go, go crashing down again. You know, like I'm doing now. So um, it's, it was a tremendously emotional time for me, and it was a real time for me, and it's something I couldn't explain. I couldn't articulate. That's for sure. And you know, like your ego tells you, you know. 
that you've come to God because he wants you and you're doing him a favour. You know, it's just, you know, the things you think immediately when you come to God are, are really, really quite funny when you innovate and he innovates you and, and sort of changes you into the Christian you're going to be and the Christian he, he basically uh, knew you were going to be before you were born. You're listening to History Makers, and this week we're speaking to Duncan Armstrong, Olympic gold medalist, world record holder, we're talking about his amazing story of faith. I'm a motivational speaker by trade, and so it's something that I pride myself that I can tell, make an audience uh, react to a great lesson, whether it be about a great athlete or a great person or a, or a great leader like Nelson Mandela. You know, I love those stories. I can retell those stories in my motivational speaking. And so when I get up to talk about God, the most important thing in my life, I can't not cry. And so it's taken me three years and I went down to a church in uh, Albury, Wodonga, because they've got a great charity down there called The Drug Run. And they run a house called uh, Green Your House and it's for um, addicted men and it helps them get off their addiction, whether it be drugs or alcohol or anything else. And fantastic, really cool. So I went down to Faith City at Albury and uh, I was speaking at church. And I got up there, and it's a young church. It's a wonderful church, and it's really doing some great things in the community. And I had my whole PowerPoint display ready on the karaoke board behind me in case I went down in a screaming mess, as usual. (laughs) And uh, so anyway, I got through an entire talk without blubbering like an idiot. So how would you say your life's changed in the last few years since you came to God? Uh, Quality. Mm. All quality. Um, Seriously, like, um, uh, Jesus has renovated our hearts and completely constructed uh, integrity, character. Um, he's really got inside almost every single one of our decisions. And if he's not with us on a decision, it usually isn't the right one. And uh, we're really happy to give it all over to him. And, and what he's been able to teach us in terms of the power of the small group, the power of friendship, the power of um, being there for people and relationship. Before I used to use relationship as manipulation. I would get people to do what I wanted to do and get a feel good out of it in a very ego way. And um, I think that's the seduction of the world, that the world will teach you you are enough. You're all you need to be. You can have anything you want in this world, and we'll show you how. Here's seven easy lessons or five easy ways or one-minute managers. or You know, we've got all this self-help coming along, and, and I was the king of it. You know, I just loved it. I just loved that I was the master of my universe and things like that. And I really feel how wrong I was, but really feel how in the world I was. And so that's what God has done for us. He's basically let me see myself for who I am and he's letting me now discover who he made and um, he's taken a a full on renovation job on us and so more than anything else we are humbled by the integrity he allows us to have Now one other thing that's changed for you is um, you're going to do crazy things like sleeping out in Fortitude Valley in the middle of the night and try and raise money for a charity and uh, you did that for CityCare uh, recently, how did that week impact you? (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't think we're in danger because we had a, a security guard with a dog hanging around the whole time, so we, was, we were cocooned. But I can tell you it was very confronting. Um, we didn't want to make it into a stunt as much as possible, but we did want to bring whatever celebrity we have um, to bear on a situation in Brisbane that, you know, there are homeless people living on the streets in Brisbane, this very affluent city in an affluent country. Uh, and there are people out there through, um, you know, poor decisions or unlucky decisions or emotional problems. They find themselves on the street and there's about 450 people living in the CBD of Brisbane. And this is a CBD where house prices and unit prices are going up and up and up and up and up and everyone's driving two cars and it's wonderful, you know what I mean? So I, I'm really touched by a lot of great charities out there and it's a privilege to work um, side by side in, in any way, shape or form with someone like the City Care Group who are run by Brisbane City Church here in, here in town. and. 
and Tim Bean's their CEO, and they do a fantastic job, and they're working at the coalface every single day, and, and uh, there's a lot of great people working at City Care, and what it is, it's a, it's a bridge out of the out of the gutter, basically, to get them uh, qualified for employment. So they run education programs in computer skills. They run a computer sheltered workshop. They run um, a shoe repair sheltered workshop, key cutting, things that you can give integrity to people who are, who are down on their luck immediately. Plus, they've got the crisis care for ladies where they give food and, and parcels. So they do their two-can appeal where they collect 10,000 cans and, and distribute it to people who need it. You know, we've got some gaping holes in our community and, and uh, you know, you read your Bible and, and Jesus, you know, basically calls us to help others. And um, that's one of the greatest things about coming to the church is that it's really um, opened, my, opened my awareness up to what good I can do through our charities. And I'm really privileged to work with some fantastic charities out there from the kids' hospitals to uh, city care to uh, Mother's Day classics and cancer research and, and on and on and on. And it's something that I can see myself doing full-time, long-term. Now, um, there may be people listening that are thinking, wow, you know, this guy had everything. Mm. And uh, why would he give himself to God? Why would he, you know, surrender his life to someone else? Uh, and they might be thinking, how do I do that? Mm. You know, what would you say to those listeners? How would you direct them to get closer to God? Well, it is scary. And, um, and we, were, we were petrified. We were absolutely petrified about what would happen to us. And, and quite frankly, when I first became a Christian, I... I didn't know how to handle it. My emotions were so thick and so um, vulnerable and, and, you know, crashing down. I'd have these waves of emotion. And, and as a man who was in control of his life, you know, if you had have sold that to me in a package, I would have rejected it for sure. If I hadn't lived through it, I would have rejected it for sure because I liked being in control and I liked this perception that I was the master of my universe, as I've said before. But um, it really just starts with one step. One step, and you know, you're reading your Bible how you know God just kept on wanting the the big men of the Bible like Jacob and, and Isaiah just to take that first step. Or, you know, even Moses in the Red Sea. You know, take that first step. I am with you, and that's what He keeps on whispering to you and keeps on yelling at you. Just take your first step. Take your first step towards Me, and I will do the rest. A lot of people will get scared because you feel like you're out of that control, and and quite frankly, you are, and you've got to get used to that. So yes, it's scary, but it's the most fulfilling thing you'll ever do. And uh, really, sometimes he's just asking you to take that first step. And even now, Becky and I, we pray and we sort of say, oh, what are we going to do in in a certain uh, important situation? And and sometimes God's just waiting to guide you after you take your first decision and first step. And it doesn't have to be um, this huge, gigantic leap. It can be just, oh, God, here we go. And that's all it takes. And so, you know, I get empowered by um, listening to other people's stories about how they came to God and and how God renovated them and, and the life and the fulfilling life they live today. And, um, and I take great heart in that because there's still going to be tough, tough decisions that I have to make. And if I cut God out of it, I'll, I'll never be able to get there. But if I include God in everything, then, you know, the mountains become small and God becomes big. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, now, if there's um, anyone that wants to find out any more about uh, Duncan Armstrong, uh, they want to book you for speaking events or whatever, how do they find you? <laughs> Uh, like the World Wide Web that God set up. Uh, no. <laughs> um, I, I have a website for all, for most of the things that I do. It's called DuncanArmstrong.com. So you can just log on there and there's a way to book me and there's all my contact numbers on there and it's, I'm very easy to find. And you also just mentioned to me before you're a fan of HistoryMakersRadio.com. Yeah. Tell us what you do there. <laughs> I just log in like everybody else and um, I do a lot of exercise, whether it be on my push bike or on the, um, the running machine at home or, or walking with my wife. And um, So I love the world of iPod. And I um, podcast history makers, mm-hmm. 
And, uh, yeah, I've learned a lot out of it, a lot and a lot out of it. One of my favourite interviews was with Nick Vukic, mm-hmm. and uh, Nick taught me a great deal about uh, overcoming obstacles and, mm. and uh, not using my excuse file mm. on the mundane. And, uh, yeah, he's a real inspiration, and hopefully I'll meet him one day. Well, mate, you certainly are a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on History Makers. If you'd like to hear this interview again, just go to historymakersradio.com. History Makers.